Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to-follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. For many of us, product management was not an end destination we put into the career GPS, but rather a charismatic town we passed through on our way somewhere else. Maybe while we were there, we stopped into a bar, met a few interesting people, decided it might be fun to stick around a while and see what this place is all about. Certainly, that's been the experience of today's guest, Nina Zidani. Nina is the product lead at Hip Hop DX, a premier online publication celebrating its 17th year of covering hip hop industry news and events. Nina's story began in Israel, designing food product packaging and later architecting exhibit spaces for artists. She left behind a successful design consultancy to start all over in LA because she felt too young to be so accomplished. Today, she got her wish. Every day, a new learning experience. Let's tune in. Talk about the getting everybody to row together. You know, you you have you guys have writers, you have editors, you have designers, developers, social media people. There's all of these people sort of serving these very specific departmental functions, and then there is this kind of bigger vision for the company. You know, you're connected to where you want to go. How do you get all of these different people to get behind that vision? Is that challenging? Um, it's very challenging because I'm used to working with people who think the same way as I do, like whether it's developers or designers or people in the field. But then when I go and talk to writers um, or social media people, it's very fascinating to see the way they kind of process information. I think one of the job one of the jobs that you also end up doing as a design lead or product manager or project manager even it's is kind of figuring out how to place all the pieces of the puzzle together. And one thing that we've been working on as a company is uh, core values. So everything we do is tied to these three core values. So we have to remind ourselves ourselves and our team that I know this is really hard but we got to do it because one, two, three. And then when it's done, you see how valuable it is and how we all grow as a team. So the next time it'll be easier and then easier and easier. But yeah, I think that essentially understanding that people are very different um, and starting from there is what helps me kind of place all of them together. <laughs> 
I know your CEO well. I know you guys have a great dynamic. You put so much trust in what you do. I've had people talk about the product management role as being like the CEO without any of the power. It's like you have all of the responsibility, but then you're ultimately constrained because you still have to sort of report up in whatever that construct is. Do you see that as a challenge or is it an opportunity? I mean, how do you feel about having so much responsibility um, and still ultimately having somebody else be responsible for the bigger vision and holding that up? How does that work? Uh, I think that I've been very lucky to work with a CEO who understands the value um, of product. Um, and we've been both learning together how to make this better and how to build better products and how to create a better team. So it is challenging at times, but I think that I've been very lucky that it's not, I don't feel like it's an issue. Um, but I hear a lot of um, people in this space complaining about um, how difficult it is to work with people who don't really understand the value of like UX design or uh, the value of uh, Product or like spending so much time on product in general, um, but I don't I don't feel like it's a big issue uh, at Hip Hop DX. Luckily, <laughs> yeah. When I one of my students said to me yesterday, and I thought this was fascinating. You know, he's part of a startup that's you know they're well funded, they're moving into Series B, they're scaling at, at rapid pace. Brilliant founding team, you know, sort of all of these Ivy League business school academic minds. Um, and it's complete chaos because everybody is very, very heady. There's not that right blend of people who understand how to be out of their heads and into the practical execution. Or even like what you were talking about earlier, knowing the different people on your team and figuring out how do I translate to get them aligned because what's going to motivate person A is different from person B and, and I do need them all rowing together. We, um, we take for granted, I think, to some extent, that by virtue of being inside the space, we value things that may or may not be valued on the outside. This is another thing that I talk about a lot in, in product class. You can't look at things through the lens of, of your own worldview. Because, especially for you, you know, you're a top-notch designer. Everything you see it's like if the design is poor, you might make a, a conclusion, there's no value in this product and, and nobody else could possibly see value. And this sort of brings us to this concept of customers and knowing your customers and knowing your users. What kind of work have you done in your time with Hip Hop DX to really understand who are the people that are interfacing with this product? We have recently started to understand how important this is. Although Hip Hop DX is 17 years old, but they have never done this before. Um, and th two things that we're doing right now, um, because they're very, it's, it's accessible, we already have these systems in place, um, is our comment system on the site. Um, we talk to people all the time, um, and we see that the people who comment are we have some returning people. They use the same names, um, and it's very easy to start a conversation 
with these people. So it's we're starting to get to know people from the comment system, and uh, we use the same approach in social media, where we have our team talk to people on like Twitter or Facebook, um, and just engage with with our audience. Uh, so that's one way we we use. So I call that like user research plan A. Okay. Uh, Can you say plan A? Plan A. Okay. <laughs> because it's it's already there. We don't have to um, we don't have to go get a team from outside to do uh, like testings or like we already have it. Yeah, I mean um, they're giving you the they're saying hello. I'm here exactly. on the site so and I have, have stuff to, do to is say. Answer and ask like where where are you from? What do you do? Yeah. Um, and a lot of our um, writers. Um, have fans, which is really, really nice. Uh, so people go in and read the articles that, let's say, Victoria writes. Um, and we've had a few people actually come into the office and just, because we, we invited them through these conversations, like, oh, you're in LA, stop by and let's go get a few drinks. So we spend time with um, our top uh, readers. And it's another thing that we're doing, which doesn't it's not really engagement, but through video, we kind of test what our audience likes. So if we put up a video for like the top five Jordans coming out this summer, we get killed in the comment section. Uh, but if we put up a video for, for like the five best rap lyrics, I don't know, 2016, people like that. So we start to... So you get killed. This is curious to me. And also, when you say Jordans, you're talking about Air Jordans. Yeah. I mean, I did have the original <laughs> Air Jordans. So I feel very close. Is it that they don't... Are, are the comments, why are you talking about shoes? Bring us more hip-hop? Or Something are they just like perceiving that. that you guys don't know what you're talking about when you no, say it's, it's, it's more up? like, why are you talking about shoes? Uh, and we got the same reaction when we wrote about... Uh, like fashion at the Met Gala. Um, so we started to realize that our audience actually values um, more classic, uh, informative, and not necessarily trendy. Right. Uh, They're trendy purists. Hip-hop yeah, DX fans are hip-hop purists. It's great because we always knew that we're a legacy brand. Um, and this kind of assures us that we should stay a legacy brand and not try to branch out to being like a more like culture magazine or not go into fashion and Air Jordans and um, what was Rihanna wearing last night and stuff like that. So that, that it's really, it's been fascinating. Like the process has been fascinating so far. I'm looking forward to digging more into getting to know who the people who read the magazine are. Right, well, and, and exactly the, the metrics if you were, take a validated learning approach to the evolution of the product, which what you're doing, then you try things and you get that instant feedback to say, no, we're off course. You know, we need to kind of keep one foot on the ground, pivot either back toward what was working or away into something else because we haven't quite found it. But I would imagine equally that's challenging. I mean, for you say a legacy brand. So on one hand, here's this company that's built up Right, 17 years is a huge accomplishment um, for for a magazine to be around. I mean, everybody's trying to get into the content game now. So to, to think back to putting it out there at that time. But yeah, how do you evolve a product because you want to grow, you, you, know, you don't want to just be flatlining after 17 years. So what's the challenge there? 
figuring out what's next for a business that's been around for a long time and, and wants to be around for a long time more, I would imagine. Um, I think that the what we're focusing a lot on at the moment is video. Um, growing our video team, um, getting more video content, especially exclusive video content where we send out teams to get news um, from the field. Um, so that's one thing that we have the whole team definitely focusing on. Uh, but on the other side of things, there's product, where we have this, this publication that's 17 years old, and it's been going great so far, but like you said, like what do, how do we know what's next? Um, and it's one of, the, one of the challenges that I have personally been facing, because deciding what's next is kind of on me. Like I have to, I have to go to my CEO and say, hey, this is what we should do, because look at the numbers, this is what we're going to get. And I'm learning how to do that right now, which makes everything a lot harder. When you say learning how to do that, do you mean learning how to roadmap with confidence or learning how to bring that to a stakeholder and kind of hold your ground and say, uh, this is what's right? Oh, no, I'm good at that part. Okay. But um, I think roadmapping, roadmapping the whole thing and actually measuring um, how this can, how, how can we get a return on investment if we build out this product? Um, and how will this increase our page views or give, get us more readers? Um, and how will this make things better, basically? Because going into a new product is very costly and we can't just decide that, oh, let's do this and see what happens. Because we've tried that before, uh, where we design and we develop a new product and it's out there, but oh, nothing happens. But right. of course nothing's gonna happen because we haven't, we didn't stand behind it. So we're recently learning as a team that we put the product out there, but it's not done. There's a whole process behind it that comes with it, but no one taught us that. So right. we have to teach ourselves and lean on our very nice developer to help us out. <laughs> well, that's the that's what I call the "if you build it, they will come" myth of of so certainly of so many entrepreneurs. And you know, we run a development company here. We get people all the time come and say, you know, I've got the next billion dollar idea, and I just need you to build it. And a lot of the times, they want you to do that for free as well. And they're going to pay you back later when they make their billions, but. Putting, I say, okay, well, let's just play a quick role play game. Let's just say that I build your product and you have it tomorrow. What's your strategy for acquiring users? Yeah. Right? And this is, I think, this is the disconnect. It's, we just assume that once a product exists, everyone will just be tripping over themselves to use it forever and pay for it, when in reality you'd be lucky if you could even do a smoke signal and get anybody to find the web page to sign up, let alone actually <laughs> yeah. start signing up and referring users and all of these things. But I, I like what you said about that. It's okay, so we've we've birthed this thing, right? We may have gone about it the wrong way. We may have, you know, gone full full forward into putting the product in market. Now it's there. We have two options. We can just let it die on the vine because we didn't think this through, or we can start to try to evolve the product and evolve the strategy for getting people yeah. to connect with it. And that is product management, I think. That's the process, yeah. right? That iterative, just keep changing things and doing things and measuring and doing yeah. until 
something starts working. Yeah, and I think that was, for me, that was a very hard um, thing to let go of. Like the, the fact that, oh, it has to be perfect. It has to be perfect and then we put it out. Because that's the way that I was used to with packaging. That, that's the way I worked with packaging or with exhibition. Like you can't hang this on the wall if it's not perfect. Uh, you can't have people come and look at this beautiful exhibition if it's not well put together and everything is in its right place. So I looked at product the same way. But then I realized that it's not that way. It's okay to put something out and see what happens. See the reactions of uh, you see the reactions of our readers. What what do they have to say about it? They're going to be the people using it, um, and then fix it, and then iterate more, and then more and more until you get to a point where you're very happy. Right. So it, it's the necessity. It's yeah. Absolutely. So that was that was a definitely a point where I felt where I consciously felt like I have to make the jump from this from one phase to the other. We, uh, it reminds me what you're saying, talked about this last night, the conversation around value proposition came up and somebody said to me, well, so is value proposition, that's just marketing, right? That's just the message. And it's like, the, the value proposition, the way that you communicate the value of whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's, you know, the Hip Hop DX site, whether it's one of the products or services that you built inside of it, that's the message that you communicate, but, but value is something that we feel. If, if you say there's value here and then somebody uses it and that value isn't there, they're going to know. You're gonna yeah. be, you can't just sort of slap a value <laughs> statement onto something and say, this is great. So it also, part of it is really about when we iterate the product like we're talking about, what we're really talking about doing is figuring out how to make this meaningful for somebody to want to use it or to want to return it to it or to want to share it. This is how we create value. Content. Just a, just a side set. <laughs> just wandering in the value place and then it, it's so visceral that you just stay there. So this is interesting, right? A, a lot of times talking about revenue models for businesses, right? Building a publishing business, meaning Primarily your customers are advertisers, right? I mean, that drives revenue primarily for the business. But the sort of, the, what I always think is interesting about content models in particular is in order to kind of get advertisers and keep them, you have to have this growing slash dedicated user base. And those users are so different in profile and need from the advertisers who are sort of willing to, you know, get their brands out in front. So how do you, as a, you know, product designer, product manager, balance those two needs, those two very different needs, right? Who comes first in terms of thinking through the user experience, in terms of the decisions you make for the product? How do you balance it? Um, for us, our readers always come first. Um, but when you talked about the challenges with CEO or teams, I think this is where it's a bit more challenging, where, where, no, we have to think about these 4 million people who will see this ad, but on the other side of things, this ad is going to make us a lot of money this month, so we have to put it on there. 
So it's sometimes I think it's I mean ideally we have no ads, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Mister so, and Mrs. Advertiser, but that's the truth. People don't want them. But it's um, I think the compromise that that we've all uh, reached is that the ads that we do have on the site are relevant to the content. So you're not going to see like a, an ad for a pasta sauce, um, but you will see an ad for a show that's happening soon or. The new Air Jordans that are going to come out this summer. We won't do a video about them, but we <laughs> but might surface an ad. <laughs> um, and the other, um, the other uh, project that we're working on right now is trying to place the ads in a place where it makes sense. Um, where it's not too invasive um, and it's not, and you kind of start feeling like it's a part of the product and not, um, and it's not there to uh, attack you. Because that happens sometimes with ads. Right. Um, so I think that probably by the end of the year, we'll have a better understanding of how, um, how to work with the ads and where to place them in a way that's not very, that's not as terrible. <laughs> well, this is my dream also as a, as a, an on, I want to say as a reader, you know, you brought up the point about video before and I was cringing on the inside because I think I'm, I'm the last of the people that want my news in, in written format and I'm just like, I know it's going away, I'm going to wake up one day, it's just going to be videos everywhere and I'm going to have to pack all of my stuff up and yeah, go I'm, to I'm a remote island. the same way, I'm like, oh, do I have to watch this video? Oh my god, it's one and a half minutes! <laughs> <laughs> We're old, that's I think, that's the truth of that. We're old, we want the words, everybody wants the, they want the quick hit of the video, they want the flash. Um, I've gone off track now, but maybe I'll come back. Oh no, ads, ads. No, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. So the thing, this is interesting, right? The, so many sites fail at this, publishing sites in particular. Why is the ad experience so crappy? You know, you're on this beautiful, you guys have a beautiful site, right? It's fast, it looks great, thanks to you, thanks to your team. I love being on it. Other sites, similar experiences, and then it's like I'm scrolling and there's an ad and it's supposed to, I can accept the fact that there's ads. What I can't accept is when a full screen takeover ad doesn't launch correctly, freezes on my screen, won't let me get out of it, breaks. It keeps refreshing the site and you have to keep going down to where you were reading. <laughs> and we've, you know, we've worked a lot with, with the ad networks, we've worked a lot with advertising agencies, with clients directly, and I think you know, part of this is there's way too many people touching this process. This is, I think, what most audiences don't know, is that you got somebody way over here designing the ad, shipping it to this media company, they're placing it, nobody's technically, most of the time, technically savvy enough to understand the specifications. Even the media companies themselves that give the specifications most of the time don't know what they're actually yeah. saying. And then the, the, the impact is to the user. And then like you brought up, meanwhile, you have to manage this. You're going, I know that these ads relevant, not relevant, could actually interrupt the user experience that I'm trying to control and, and create in terms of value over here, do you just like throw up your arms at that point and say, damn it, leave um, early? 
I mean, there are frustrating days where I've left early, <laughs> that's for sure. But I think that one, well, it's, it's such a mess because it's, we really don't have control over the code. Um, or an ad just that just takes over your whole screen. Like we can't, there's really nothing we can do about that. But um, but I think that as not having control over how it's written or, or how it's placed is definitely a part of the problem. Because a lot of the times something doesn't show up on the site, like the whole section would just be wiped out because this ad is blocking something that something on the site. So we have to go in and kind of try to mess around and see what what's going on there. So that's definitely part of the problem. But one solution that we found is moving to companies that allow you to kind of edit visually. Um, so we can use the same typefaces as we do on the site. We can use more or less the same colors. We can change the background of the ad. We can control the, um, the size of the video or the size of the image. So those are uh, a little bit easier to, to handle because we feel like we have a little bit of more control. Um, over how it looks at least and it's not going to like jump in your face. It's pretty consistent It just shows up between uh, like when you're reading an article it just shows up elegantly at the bottom uh, And it doesn't threaten anyone or <laughs> it feels consistent. It feels consistent. Yeah. Bless the typography. <laughs> so that those are the types of ads that um, That I enjoy working with uh, enjoy <laughs> what are the I'm not familiar with the technology. So what are the, some of the companies? Called, that... One company is called ShareThrough. Okay. Um, and they're great. Like even even on um, a personal level, like they uh, fly us out to their conferences once a year. Uh, we know the people. There's someone to call, someone to talk to. So it's not like this big corporation that there's nowhere that there's nowhere to reach. And they have a really nice platform where you can go in and see how many people clicked, what happened, how much money you've made. Um, and it's easily, you can place it anywhere you want on the site, which makes things a lot easier for us. Um, so I think that working with companies like that makes things a little bit easier um, on the experience side of things. Yeah, I mean, a big part of experience is, will there be somebody to pick up my phone exactly. or answer yeah. my email? Like, the site is not loading. Who can I talk to? <laughs> right, right, absolutely. I mean, this, these are things that get overlooked a lot when, when we scale or when we focus on the wrong things. Is well, what about that part of our value proposition that said, you know, we want to be a good partner to, to our publishing businesses? Yeah. Share through. This is the ad hoc plug through. <laughs> Share through is not a sponsor of this show, but maybe they will be in the future. <laughs> Talk to me about tools. Any cool stuff you guys are using, software oh, products that you're yes. falling in love with that you want to... Uh, I have recently fallen in love with Sketch. Sketch. Sketch is... Were you Photoshop before? I was... I always hated Photoshop. I was uh -huh. never good at it. It's just too clunky. You can't really get to what you want very fast. Um, and I always knew that Photoshop is not the tool I need uh, to build out these great products. But um, after moving to Sketch, I, I use it for everything, like even um, like anything web design related, uh, anything product related happens in Sketch. And the nice thing is that it's very community because a lot of people are developing really nice plugins that help you do things like measure spaces between elements or um, export it to, um, what's it called, um, Envision or Proto.io or stuff like that. So it's, it's very, it's, it's a growing platform. It's very, very, very nice. 
sketch. I was hoping you were going to say pivotal tracker. I thought that... And pivotal tracker. <laughs> and I recently discovered that their offices are in Santa Monica because I was at the Apple store and I was like, oh, really? Pivotal Labs are right here? But wait a minute. Maybe I'll just go visit. Just pop so, in and, so and get some quick scrum pivotal, lessons. Pivotal has definitely changed the way we work. What were you using before? Remind me. Um... Or you were doing, you I was were doing it right same, in Git, you I guys was, were doing. We were doing it in Git, uh, but I was also sitting in the same room with, with our developer. So it was more like, hey, let's put stuff on the board and see how it works. Um, Every developer's dream, by the way, is really? to have no, <laughs> is to have somebody standing over their shoulder saying, try this, make that blue, move that over 30 it's, pixels. It's really, really efficient because like, I put some stuff there last night um, and I woke up this morning and it's it's all done. Like I have my comments in there from the developers and I see what's going on all the time. And it's very, very easy to communicate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, great. Pivotal Tracker, we're big fans of Pivotal Tracker. I mean, the magic part is also about having, um, obviously, established good process with your developer team because that's the yeah. magic is I put in a ticket it's clear and then it moves along like a thing of beauty and pivotal gives us that level of transparency to see the product and I think what's fascinating as well is and it's been our experience in this with clients we used to let clients give feedback in whatever format worked for them because we wanted to make uh, the process of working with us as convenient as possible. And we thought Pivotal will be too difficult for them to learn. They're not going to want to do it. And then we realized that we had to make force that shift. We were losing too much time transposing feedback from you know one platform into another. But we've seen this amazing thing happen with clients that being on Pivotal, it's like it removes this layer of anxiety that was yeah. there. They're just like, oh no, I, I'm good. I just have the project open and I check on it. And, yeah. and then the connection to things like scope creep or the impact of change becomes more shared by stakeholders because you can in real time see the impact of rejecting a ticket or introducing a new feature, however minor you might think that it is. Yeah, yeah it's been really, it's been a, a good change for us. Um, but also on a personal level, <coughs> another really good uh, tool slash resource has been uh, Medium.com. Um, I'm in love with Medium.com. Are you talking about Medium, the blogging platform? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you on there? I am on it. Why? Are, why? How come I'm not reading all your? Uh, what's your uh, username here for me and the, and the folks listening? In? It's uh, Nina Zidani. Um, or Sunbird 3000, I can't remember which one. <laughs> Probably my Twitter name. You're going to need to get better at self-promoting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't uh, take that into account. <laughs> um, but Medium is incredible. It's just, it's a platform to share everything and anything and just meet people. Um, and it's nice because whenever I'm there, I just read stuff that I'm interested in. So it feels like it's my world. Um, and I don't have to make an effort to... Um, see what's going on because it's all there right do you get the, the daily digest from medium and you're like perfect they've, yeah, they've curated exactly what i need to exactly, yeah. anybody out there that uh that you would recommend just people that you follow that you think are creating uh, some really great 
written con- I mean, this is why you love written. medium. Yeah. I love medium too, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say it. So the written word, the long form word has returned in the world of medium. Yeah. Any any great folks in the design space, in the product space, in a completely different space that um, I've been following uh, uh, Jeff Tian recently. He's a uh, head of product at Facebook. Um, I've been following the Development Factory. Oh, uh, yeah, Jeff Tian. Tian and Lax—that's where he. That was the UX firm. They were in Toronto. Oh, my, really? Yeah. So it's, okay. uh, we were when the Development Factory was in its infancy in Toronto. We were, you know, very avid followers of, of the work that they were doing, and um, you know, touched a couple. Uh, touched a couple of the same projects at different ends of the production spectrum and uh, you know read their they, they had a very poignant farewell to the end of Tian and Lax when, yeah. when they moved on but yeah great yeah thank you for the yeah. recommendation I think he also wrote about it uh, on Medium at some point you know you're doing all of this stuff if you could hire anybody as a next person to start to offload all of the, the responsibilities that come with product men. You can only have one. I know the answer to that. You do? Yeah, I've been dreaming about it. You um, have. I hire a visual designer. You would? Because it's, it has become, um, I don't want to say a burden, but it's a part of my work that I don't enjoy anymore. Um, I just want to have someone else do that so I can focus on um, actually understanding the users more, um, and working more on like measuring metrics side of things and making sure that this is worth the investment um, and I think more product management and less worrying about oh we made this blue but it should be red um, which has been great uh, it, I've enjoyed it for many many years but I think it's time for me to pass the baton exactly right. so definitely a visual designer It'll be great. So that's the other indication then that you we talk about product management as being sort of that little pressure cooker center between the worlds of design and technology and business. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges that can happen is, especially if an organization is smaller, that center is bigger. You're 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 in the middle of all those things, but what you're actually doing within each of those domains is way more involved. And that can be the danger is it's, it's, you can't see uh, out and above if you're sort of down in the trenches and, and whether yeah. you're coding or whether you're practically designing or whether you're, you know, raising money or, you know, going out and, and uh, engaging customers, paying customers. If you're doing all of those things, then you can't be thinking about the whole in the product management capacity. So you're hooked is what you're saying. You love this job. I love it. I definitely love it. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Battered and bruised and nowhere else that I would rather be. Fascinating. Do you have, Nina, like a, I was talking about like a quote that if we would put it on a mug and it would be like, this is the, this is the mantra that, that Nina guides her life by professionally, um, personally. Oh, wow. Um, well, it doesn't sound, haven't uh, written it in a fancy way yet, but I always remind myself that design is a holistic concept and whether it's building a product or organizing your closet or buying sheets, it's the same, you apply the same uh, thought process to it. Um, And I I use that every day. 
So whatever I'm doing, um, it's, it's how things are. Design is a holistic concept. Nina, thank you so much for taking the time. It's really been great hearing from you. And uh, hiphopdx.com for everybody listening in. Go check out the site. I follow. I love the content that you got. I'm, I'm a little out of the loop, but I'm, I'm really trying to learn about what's happening in the industry. So thank you. Thank you. You're listening to 100 p.m., the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.